The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Acts chapter 11, as we get into the word today, um, at first glance, like this doesn't seem like it's all that important, okay? Um, It's just like, okay, that's a good chapter. And it seems a little bit repetitive because we just went through Acts chapter 10 uh, with the whole experience with Cornelius coming to the faith And it's sort of the first, um, you know, what, 18 verses are a retelling of that. Uh, But it's very interesting and fascinating what is going on here. And and Peter is retelling his experience with Cornelius. And then we go into 19 through 30 and we see there is a church planted in Antioch. So you got these two things going on. You're like, oh, that's cool. It's a nice story. Like both of them. Retelling of the one. Like to hear that. And then we go through this church in Antioch. And then... Then we kind of get into some other stuff. Like the next um, chapter, it says, the the heading of my Bible says, Peter's miraculous escape from prison. It's like, oh, now that's a good one. Like we're going to get in that one and see what happens. But this chapter 11 is extremely significant. It is a very significant section in Acts um, to us as non-Jewish believers. Unless, you know, you're a Jewish believer, which I think most of us um, are not. And so we look and we see how the gospel begins to do its work. And so Luke has a reason for the second account of what is happening with the story of um, Peter and Cornelius. The first account, as you study historically what's going on, um, Luke, man, he's he's a historian. Like, he does his homework. And a lot of the things that he doesn't have firsthand experience with, he uses other sources to write the things that he writes for this guy, um, um, you know, in honor of Theophilus. He's telling a story about how the kingdom uh, came to be as far as the uh, Jesus' kingdom and the church sort of took off in the uh, uh, early days of, of what our forefathers planted as we know as, as the church itself. And so in, in the first telling of it, he's using one source and he's kind of telling this is what happened. But when he, when he tells this one, when he retells it in uh, chapter 11, it's Peter's firsthand account. We can kind of tell, like he's using, like he's either interviewed Peter or he's using something Peter wrote down to tell us exactly what happened in that account. And so Jesus said to them, when, if you remember, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when we started this series a long time ago, we learned that um, they... Jesus told them to go and wait, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost part of the earth. Okay? And so what we've seen all the way up through verse 11 is that the gospel, or chapter 11, is that the gospel has moved to Jerusalem. It broke out on the day of Pentecost. It moved through Judea. It moved through Samaria. And so it is yet to move to the uttermost part of the earth. And that is a saying that they would use during this um, period of time to to really talk about like the most significant places. The gospel was traveling. And no doubt it is continuing to travel even today. So Jesus said that would would happen. And without Acts chapter 11, um, guess what we have? Only the Jews get to receive Jesus. That's all that was going on up to this point. Like they were sharing the gospel uh, outside of Cornelius. You see, when we go back and, and, and we see that 
different people, like we look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, well, we see that he was probably a proselyte to Judaism, which what that means is there was a way to come into Judaism by uh, submitting to the, 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 the religious direction that was given in the Old Testament law and the Torah, and they would follow these things, and you could come into Judaism. But you could only go so far. That's why even in the temple, there were different courts. There were the court, uh, the court of women, the court of Jewish men, the court of priests. Well, there was also a court of the Gentiles. And so there was a way to make it in, but you would never really um, come to that place where you arrived that you were a full-blown recognized Jew. There were, there were problems. And so when we get to Acts chapter 11, we see that the church is making a major shift. Because all they're doing right now is they have become like a sect of Judaism. Like they're even, they're not messed with by the government of Rome or anything because they kind of look at them and say, well, this is just a, a sect of the Jews. That's why when they go into some of these arguments that we've uh, looked at, he said, this, this is an argument. One of the uh, leaders said, this is an argument about your own religion. You know, let your own law deal with it. And so they didn't get too involved with it because they saw it as that. But it's about to shift. It's about to, uh, it's about to part ways from Judaism altogether and become Christianity. And so when we get here to Acts chapter 11, we begin to see how this change and this shift took place. It is a major thing because these people had grown up all their lives uh, being strict um, people who follow the Old Testament Mosaic law. It was, it was huge for them. That's how they knew to get to know God. So as Jesus comes on the scene, he doesn't do away with the law. He says, I've come to fulfill the law. And so they become followers of Jesus and then he sends the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. They receive the power, but they're still following the law. That's why when you read your Bible, you'll see Paul and Peter get into it about how um, Paul is um, getting on to Peter because he wouldn't eat with Gentile people. He's like pushing into him. He's leaning into him. He says, bro, you're trying to go back to the old way, and that's not who we are. And so you see these things working themselves out. Well, they start right here. And, and Peter plays a, a very important role in it. So we go to Acts chapter 11, verse 1, and I'm just going to unpack it for you, and I'm going to stop before we get into 19 through 30 and give you a little bit of introductory material about the city of Antioch itself. But, but this is what we find out. It says in verse 1, The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Okay? And so Peter has this experience with this guy by the name of Cornelius. Remember, he's struggling. And he, after the experience, Cornelius is a Gentile. And so after he gets saved, man, word starts getting around. And he's not in Jerusalem. And so word beats him back to Jerusalem. And so they're waiting on him, man, like there's a little bit of conflict going on. We see how to deal with um, conflict in the church. So there's some conflict happening in the church. There's some brothers waiting for Peter to get back from his journey back in Jerusalem. And so it says that when Peter, in verse 2, went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, what they do, they criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. <gasps> Man, like Peter is like, he, he's looking for a welcome home party. And he's like, what's up, bro? Like you're breaking the law. You're supposed to be a leader. And you've gone to a place that you shouldn't go, and you've hung out and you've ate with some people that you shouldn't have eaten with. And they want an answer for it. And so what does Peter do? 
Well, he doesn't do what we often do and just get into a fight and a shouting match. He starts explaining what happens. And so this is what he said, and, and I'm not going to take time to exegete everything um, that, that he goes through because we did that uh, last sermon. But he says this, Peter began, and he explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. He said, I was in the city of Joppa. I was praying and in a trance, and I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was, I was, and I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Now, these are all the things in that, during the time of the, the Jewish people they were forbidden to eat. Like, you couldn't eat these things. They were unclean. And he says, then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And then the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. Then it was all pulled up to heaven again. So what is Peter doing? He said, man, I hear what you are saying, bros. Like, I'm with you. I know where you're tracking, where your minds are at. My mind was at the same place. But the Lord came and he spoke to me, and he used a vision. And just to be certain, this vision, he gave it to me three times. The sheet came up and down, and I'm certain that it was the Lord that was um, behind what I was experiencing in this moment. And I said, no, like I'm not eating of that. And he said, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And he says, right there, then he says, as I had that experience and I was wrestling with the Lord and I was thinking through what this meant, he says in verse 11, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. Man, have you ever tried to make a decision? That's a good way to try to pray through it. Lord, Give me no hesitation about doing this. And if the Lord gives you hesitation, then don't do it because the Holy Spirit will lead you in that way. And he gave him no hesitation about going to them after or going with them after he had had this vision. And so I love what Peter does. He says, these six brothers also went with me and and we entered the house with with uh, we entered the man's house. So he said, like, he's going back. The conflict happens, and he's like, this is what went down, guys. He's like, man, I had this vision. And as I had the vision, I tried to wrestle with the Lord, and the Lord, was, he, was, he was saying something to me. And when the vision was completed, I was kind of coming out, out of it and thinking about it. Then three guys called out to me. They were at the door, and they said they had been sent. And these six bros right here, they can testify that everything I'm saying is true. So anytime you're going through conflict, it's good to have somebody around you that can support exactly just what was said or what happened with you. And so um, he has no hesitation about going with them. He says, I've got these witnesses. And, and then we went, and he said, we went to the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel appear in the house and say, send a Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Okay, so he's like, like, I got this vision from the Lord. I go according to the vision as the Spirit's nudging me and telling me to go with these guys. I go with them. I enter. I tell them, and we can look back in chapter 10, and he says, one of the things, you know that Peter's wrestling with this. He's still trying to figure it out in his mind, and I think that's why he took all six men with him because he knew he might be getting into a situation that he, he maybe he shouldn't be getting into because he was violating some things in the Jewish law. So he takes these six guys with him. They go into Cornelius' house. 
house. And one of the first things that Peter says in the previous telling of this story, he says, hey, it's not lawful for me to be in your home. Like The guy says, welcome to your home. It's not lawful for me to be here. It's not really a good way socially to interact with people, but that's what Peter did because he, he had such a strong conviction about what was going on with him. And he's, he's, what he's saying to the guys is, bros, I felt exactly like you did. My mindset is it was tracking exactly like yours, but this is what happened. And so he said, um, they said that, that, that a message would be given by me, which I didn't even know these guys, so I had to listen to that because they knew my name, they sent for me, and I was having a vision when they got there, and I had to listen to all that. Okay, and so he says, when they say that, uh, that, that I would explain to them how to be saved, I was hearing that the Lord said, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean, that the Lord wanted me to share the gospel right here. So he says, I began to speak. And he says, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the, gift, the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? He's like, man, the guys told me that I would tell them how to be saved, and I started to talk about the good news of, of the gospel and how the Lord um, you know, died on the cross of Calvary, and all of a sudden, man, Boom, these guys had an experience like we had an experience at, at Pentecost. And they all started speaking in tongues. And it was obvious to me that they had the Holy Spirit. And as I'm looking at the Holy Spirit nudges me and reminds me that uh, what Jesus said about John, he baptized with water, but I will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And these bros were baptized in the Holy Spirit. What was I to do? Like it was obvious that God was at work there. Okay, it's a great explanation. So what did the guys do? What was their rebuttal? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Like, there it is. Like, they were there, man, the gospel is available to everybody. And so the church majorly shifts. Like, and it's trying to figure itself out. This is what I love about this. Is it's, it's trying to figure out, man, what is going on? And so we've been talking about through this whole series, how does the kingdom move? How does it continue to move in Overland Park in 2019? Just like this. People listening to the Lord. People sitting with the Lord in the word of God. People spending time in prayer. and People stepping into obedience and doing what the Lord has asked them to do. If Peter had never done what the Lord had asked him to do and he had uh, got into a battle with the Lord, we never would have had the experience that we're talking about with Peter today. Okay, so like, here's the deal, man. The Lord is doing that all the time. All the time in our lives. And there are some of you that don't have an experience to talk about because you're not listening. And until you get in tune with the Holy Spirit and quit listening to everything that was competing with your attention and start listening to the voice of the Lord, I'm reminded of John chapter 10, my sheep shall hear my voice, they shall know my voice, they shall follow me. How will the rest of the world know that we are followers of Jesus? By the love and obedience that we have in our lives as we step into the voice of the Lord speaking to us as we're sitting in the word, talking to him in prayer. Yet any time that I push and lean into people on a one-to-one -one basis, one of the number one complaints is, is man, I, I just I didn't have time to read the Word. I didn't have time to pray. No, the fact of the matter is, is you don't care. You don't believe that it makes any difference in your life. Because if you did, 
you would stop saying that and start meeting with Jesus and quit getting so anxious about everything that is happening around you because the Spirit would start leading you just like he's been leading these men and women all through the book of Acts since we started in chapter 1. If it doesn't happen that way, then Jesus is a farce. Like, I don't even know why we're here this morning. Like, either Jesus, what he said would take place in our lives, or he is, he is not God. Now, what I want to stand and testify to you today is that what Jesus said would happen is happening in my life. It even happens right now in this moment as I'm preaching the gospel. I can experience the power of the Lord leading me and anointing me to preach in the power and demonstration of the Spirit exactly like it's supposed to be done. And it is, why is that? Why is that that some people will preach in the power and demonstration of the Spirit and some people will give you a nice history lesson? It is because some people are walking with the Lord and some people are walking in the world trying to say they know the Lord. That's the bottom line, man. Like, there's nothing special about a person who is used of the Lord except for the fact that he knows of the Lord and he sits with the Lord, he listens to the Lord, and the Lord enables him to do what? What he wants done in his kingdom. And so we see this and we go, man, this, this is how the kingdom moves. It's now opened up, the gospel is now opened up to the Gentiles. Now, we get to verse 19. And what happens is, is that Luke is going to begin to unpack for us the significance of this church that is planted in Antioch. Antioch was an ancient city of significance. It was one of the big three. It was the most influential city in uh, the beginning of uh, uh, the birth of the church, like the most influential city outside of Jerusalem. Like, it was a, it was a major thoroughfare. It was a, it was a, a place where... Um, uh, uh, people like they were wealthy <clears throat> because there was a lot going on there. And so it had this uh, role of significance. It, it had a population of about 500,000 people. So it was bigger than Overland Park. What's Overland Park? About a little shy of 200,000. Just give you an idea of how big this city was. Okay, And it, it was a place, again, where, where people could uh, gain a lot of wealth. It was a cultural melting pot. There were all kinds of different people groups that resided in Antioch. And it was a place where they had learned to take that wealth and use it to create things to experience pleasure for themselves. They had a pleasure park. And it was called the Pleasure Park of Daphne. And it was there that you could go and you could experience all sorts of moral depravity. Like, like, it was bad, man. Like, the things that were going on in Antioch. And so it is a place, like, you look at it and you go, whoa, man. Like, I'm not sure that that's a good place um, for, for a believer to be. Like, we look at that and we go, man, that's a place where we look at it and go, man, there's a stronghold of the enemy there. And there's no doubt there was a stronghold. But guess what else Antioch became? The birthplace of missions. Like, there were so many missionaries that were sent out from Antioch because that what the Lord decided to do in this city that was so influential. Now, so we have this backdrop, and it is in this backdrop, looking at how depraved this city was, looking at, at how far gone it was culturally, looking at where, like, really, to be quite honest with you, it has a lot of similarities to Overland Park. Like, it really does. Like, they're, they're, the people are wealthy. People have lots of um, uh, disposable income. Um, they're, they're very, um, you know, they're, they're leaders. It's a very white-collar area. Things are happening in the city. There's things happening in the city. A lot of people like that. And, 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 and experience so much success that we often find that they don't have time for the Lord. Okay? 
And so here we are, and, and we can look at some parallels, uh, and, and under this backdrop, we see the power that the gospel demonstrates to save. Okay? It had been seven years since the time of Pentecost. Now, what is the time of Pentecost? Just for those of you who might not know, this is the first time that the Holy Spirit descends and enters a human being. So it is, the, it is the first time that, you know, we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Before God, the Holy Spirit is kind of moving around and coming over people individually to help them for a special work and raise them up, you know, and to do something special. But now the Holy Spirit is indwelling people as they surrender their lives and, and they believe and call upon the name of Jesus Christ to be saved, okay? And so it's been seven years since the Spirit broke out in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem had had all this movement. And then we know that um, in some of that movement that we, we have, uh, Stephen was like, he was one that was full of the Holy Spirit. And Shay did a great job teaching us about Stephen over the summer. And, and, and what did Stephen do, man? He was, he was preaching to these guys. He was making a defense for the gospel, and they killed him. And they all were scattered, okay? And so they left Jerusalem. And so the gospel left with them, all right, as they were scattered. And, and, and so we pick up here, and Luke, he, is, he intentionally talks about that scattering and talks about um, how uh, Stephen was persecuted, and that's when the scattering broke out. So, so think about this. Movement in Jerusalem, tons of movement. The church comes out of the ground. We know thousands of people accept Jesus. Like in a couple of sermons, it grows to like five or 6,000, okay? And then, and then this this uh, this persecution happens, and a lot of them leave, okay? And as they are scattered, Luke says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they were telling the message, what? Only to Jews, okay? So they, man, the gospel, boom, they go out, and they're like, um, so it looks like they're fleeing for their lives, and they're, and they're not really fleeing to protect their lives. I think they're fleeing because they recognize, man, I'm going to go share the gospel with people. I'm going to believe that the Lord's going to use me somewhere else. There's no need for me to sit here. They're just killing people here. I'm going to go find some people of peace that want to listen to this message of truth. And so they make their way, and they're, they're finding Jews. They're going to the synagogues, and they're sharing the gospel. But then he says something very interesting in verse 20. But some of them, however... Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So some of them were a little bit, rebe you know, they, maybe they were taking on a rebellious nature. I don't really think they were. I think they were listening to the Lord, and the Lord was pushing them. And they just open up, and they start telling people that aren't Jews. And what do we learn in verse 21? Here's a good verse for you to underline. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Man, that verse right there has been written on my whiteboard for over a year now. Every single day I call that verse out to the Lord and I say, Lord, make us a, a church filled with people that, are, that your hand is upon us and your power is coming upon us. And people are turning and believing because your power is working through us. Okay? And so the hand of the Lord was upon them. And it says a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. All right? We're in Antioch. The church leadership is back in Jerusalem. There's a revival breaking out in the city of Antioch, in this immoral place. Lucas just told us, man, this is how the gospel shifted. They were in this position of, you don't even go eat with a Gentile. And now they see that the gospel is breaking out 
among the Gentiles, and they catch word of it. It says, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent, what, Barnabas to Antioch. Like, man, they hear about this. And here's what I probably uh, feel like was going on a little bit, is that the movement in Jerusalem had slowed down a little bit. Like the Lord did a great work in Jerusalem. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, into the uttermost part of the earth. It had slowed down, and all of a sudden they catch wind, man, there's something going down in Antioch. People are getting saved right and left. What? He said, what are we going to do? We need to send somebody down there to check it out. Who are we going to send? Barnabas. Now, we met Barnabas several weeks ago. Barnabas was, his name means son of encouragement. If your name was going to be anything, that's a good one right there. I love Barnabas. And so they pick Barnabas. He's a great choice for them. And he, they send him down there. And so Barnabas's mission is to go down, find out what in the world is going on in Antioch, and give a report. And so we look, and what happens? It says, when he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Like, here's the deal, man. I think this is so important. This is so important. So easy for us to digest this in church. So difficult for us to digest it in the kitchen with our family. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. When he saw something good happening, he was glad. A lot of times because of our human nature, when we see something good happening in someone else's life, that doesn't say he was mad. He was glad. Like, he was, he was not a hater. I often tell my, my kids, I, I, you, you know, this is, and I see this because I know it is in me. It is part of the sinful nature. And sometimes we hear good news and we want to start to rain on it. <laughs> well, since, since everybody made fun of me about bow hunting, a guy sends out a picture of a buck. He's got a trail camera photo. And it's often that guys will say, he's nice, but. Instead of like, Bro, that thing is awesome. Like, you need to go after him. And so people, here's what I often tell to my kids, because I saw saw them doing it this week, um, is uh, Caitlin was saying something about the play. She's in middle school now. Faith has gone on to high school. She's at Blue Valley West. She was in the drama department all three years. So as Caitlin is telling some things, then then, um, Faith kind of speaks into it, and she's like kind of, talking down on it. Doesn't sound like she's glad that her sister's following in her footsteps. It sounds a little bit like she's mad and she knows everything. So I looked at her and I said, hey, don't hate, celebrate. Right? Like, man, we got to learn to be people who celebrate the good news. And that's what is cool about Barnabas. Man, he goes down there and he sees the evidence of the grace of God and he is encouraged and he tells all of them, remain true to the Lord with all of your hearts. Okay? Now, this word remain, it is the word prosmino, and it's the same word that Jesus uses in John chapter 15. Mino, abide, hang out with, tarry. What does he tell him to do? Continue to hang out with the Lord and, and what he's teaching you. Continue in what's going on. Don't get distracted by all of the things going on around you. Don't get distracted by the evil that you see happening in the city of Antioch because the Lord is doing something and you remain true and hold on to it with all of your heart and the Lord will continue this work that he has started within you. 
And so that, that's a lesson for us is to understand how important sitting with the Lord and abiding with him is. It's not just about coming to church. You come to church, man, every week I'm going to do my best. And if Shea is preaching, he's going to do his best. And Corey leading worship to lead you before the throne of God and challenge you and encourage you. But if you aren't sitting with the Lord through the rest of the week, there is no way the power for the kingdom to move like I'm talking about is going to happen in your life. It can't happen. We're here to, like, get you encouraged, get you to fired up, challenge you, teach you to what? Abide and sit with the Lord so he can speak to you and lead you along the journey and the kingdom can move through your life. And so we see this and we go, man, um, the next thing that, that Luke tells us is after a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Oh, it's, no, before that it says, he says, remain true to the Lord in verse 21. I love what it says about Barnabas. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Okay? What's, what does Barnabas tell him to do? Remain with the Lord. And then Luke tells us, right after Barnabas says that, he, he says, man, Barnabas was a guy who was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man. What made him um, full of the Holy Spirit is the thing that he told them to do, he knew how to, to do. He knew how to do. He, he, he was basically saying to them, um, as Paul says to uh, the, the others in his epistles, like, follow me as I follow Christ. Like, remain true to the, remain with the Lord. Like, hang in there. And so we know this about Barnabas. And then it, here's what we find out is that Barnabas is a little overwhelmed, okay? Like, he's a little overwhelmed by all of these people who are coming to Jesus. He's been sent by the church to find out what's going on. They're Gentiles. Culturally, they're different. They're coming to the Lord right and left. They've probably got tons of questions. They want to meet with the Lord. They want to learn more about the Lord. They want to learn more about what they're supposed to do. He's overwhelmed. He needs some help. So what does he do? A lot of guys would have went back to Jerusalem and said, hey, I need a budget and some staff members so I can get back down in there and do something great for the Lord. Right? That's not what he did. He went to Tarsus. Now, who's in Tarsus? Paul is in Tarsus. Paul had been in Jerusalem, but he was, he was so zealous for the Lord, and he was so still familiar with all of the people that he used to be on the side of the Pharisees, that he, man, the, the church was just having trouble all the time. And so they sent him off to his hometown and said, bro, you need to go back and be a missionary to your, 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 your kin. Like, like we, can't, we can't have you around here. It's causing too much disruption. So he goes, and we know that as we studied that, that, that there was a time of peace for the church. So Paul's been down in Jerusalem or uh, Tarsus for a long time. And so he's, Paul, if you read about Paul, there are things that he talks about. Man, I was beaten this many times, left unconscious, thought I was going to die. All of these bad things happened to me. A lot of the things that happened to Paul was while he was at Tarsus, Okay. Like many scholars agree with that. So he's back in Tarsus. He's just trying to be true to the Lord, man. Like he's, he's met the Lord. The Lord has saved him. And so he's trying to do his best that he can to reach people for Jesus. And he just keeps hitting his head up against the wall. And, and so no, like we don't really know a whole lot about what was going on with Paul except that he was in Tarsus. But Barnabas is the guy who talked to the apostles originally and said, no, this guy has really met the Lord. So he knew his story. Well, what was part of Paul's story? Jesus said, you are going to be my servant to the Gentiles, the apostle to the Gentiles. 
So Barnabas is looking here and he says, man, there's a work going on. I remember that that guy's testimony, he said something about he was going to be a, 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 the Lord told him he was going to be an apostle to the Gentile, I, a Gentiles. I remember that about his story. And so he goes down to Tarsus looking for him. Now, this, this, uh, uh, the way this describes this, he doesn't know where Paul is at. Like, he has to go on an intense search to locate this man. And he finds him. And he brings him back to Antioch. And this is great news. Like, if you're in a place where you're like, man, when is it going to break out for me? It will. You say, when? When the Lord says it's time. You just keep pressing on. If you're in Tarsus right now, just remain true in Tarsus until Barnabas comes to get you and take you to Antioch. You know? That's what we got to do. And, and so he, he gets to Antioch and... Uh, Man, I, like, I, this is overwhelming to me because I see the Holy Spirit so, so much in it. And I've seen it in my own life, like so many times the Lord operating like this. And so he gets him, he brings him, and so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church, and they taught great numbers of people. And what happens? The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now, when they first started calling them Christians, they were mocking them, you little Christ people. Like, and, and, and it probably was offensive, but I kind of believe that um, Paul got there and they, he started teaching them, man, and they were saying, hey, he was probably in a meeting and said, hey, man, these people, they keep calling us little Christ people and they're making fun of us. And, you just, and Paul probably said, you tell them you dang right I'm a little Christ people. That's exactly what I am. And they owned it, man. And that's why we are called Christians today. It's because people were making fun of the way that we lived. Because why? We look so much like Jesus. So you don't have to tell somebody you're a Christian. They will start figuring it out when your life starts looking like Jesus. And so he says, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. And the disciples, watch this, this is beautiful. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living where? In Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and saw the very people that they were running down the road of rejecting until they saw the spirit intervene became the people that delivered them during the time of the famine and that's what the lord always does he always chooses the rejected to provide for those in need like, that's, that's what we are. It's like, the, like we are people that we have to understand. Like, when I say rejected, the, the not good enough. The people who, who come to a place where they realize, man, there's nothing I can do to be right with God. On what basis does the God of the universe look at you and say, holy? Look at that guy. He mowed his neighbor's yard. Holy. When there are people that do evil things that will mow their neighbor's yard. 
On what basis does it look, look at us and say we're holy when we understand that we are rejected by God unless we realize that God was rejected and in our, uh, uh, smitten in our stead, that he became the lamb of God that was crucified be, uh, for, before the foundation of the world and we receive Jesus, then he looks at us and he says holy. And now the rejected become those who are providing provision for those who are still walking apart from the Lord. So we look at this and we go, man, whoa, like there is a lot there in Acts chapter 11 that applies to me specifically because the gospel is showing me how the gospel moved into, to, to, to be available to me as a Gentile. But I specifically want to make some observations about Barnabas very quickly because I too want to watch the Chiefs. Amen. Barnabas was a servant leader. No task was too small for him. He was always available. So three observation about Barnabas, observations about Barnabas' life that what made him so great. Barnabas had nothing to prove. <laughs> he didn't play games and he didn't seek the limelight. He mentored Paul happily and then he went to get him. On the way to get Paul, do you not think that, that Barnabas knew Paul was more gifted than him. Paul could teach better than him. Paul knew the Old Testament better than him. Paul could speak better than him. Well, Barnabas knew, and he went and got him anyway, and then he let him rise above him. I don't know who it was. I was somebody in a group was talking recently, and we were reading through Acts. I don't remember if it was in Quentin's D group or, or somewhere else, but somebody said, you know, it's interesting that it's, it's Barnabas, and Paul, Barnabas and Paul, Barnabas and Paul. But when we get to chapter 13, I believe it is Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. See, he, he had nothing to prove, and he let Paul rise above him and take first chair. And, and his the reason he was able to do that is because his identity was in Christ. He didn't need to prove himself to anyone, and that's freedom. Man, when you can walk in that and you don't have anything to prove and you're not worried about what anybody thinks about you because you know that you belong to Jesus, it doesn't matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter which position you get in your career, how much you're elevated, none of that matters because you belong to Jesus and they can take it all away and guess what? You still belong to Jesus. That's where my identity's at. <laughs> That's good news, man. You can't touch me. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, here's the second thing. <laughs> Barnabas had nothing to lose. He had nothing to prove. He had nothing to lose. He didn't guard his reputation or fear losing his popularity. And again, I think a lot of people would have went to Jerusalem because they would have been threatened by Paul, but not Barnabas. And what I love about him, <laughs> we like to say this. I love it when Shay says this. Says this I'm here to serve, bro. Like He came to serve, not to be served. And so if Shay ever tells me that I'm here to serve, bro, I say, okay, well, get that over there and bring it here to me. <laughs> that's a good attitude for us to live by. That's what we're here for. We're servants of the king, and, and that's what this whole kingdom series is about. And so this allowed him to focus on giving, not getting. And so here's what I want you to take away. Like, take this away. Write this down if you're writing anything down. Servants have no rights to lose. We can't lose because we belong to the king. And that is a truth to live by. Here's the third observation. Barnabas had nothing to hide. Again, he didn't maintain his image. He wasn't worried about that. He was authentic, vulnerable, and transparent. 
He, he rejoiced with others. We saw that in verse 23, what happened when he saw the evidence of the Lord. He just broke out in rejoicing. He was excited. He didn't worry about his own fame. And so here's the thing is we have to die to ourselves and be like Barnabas in our walk with Jesus. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. And here's the deal. What I love about the main thing about this passage, what it teaches us, the big idea, Jesus is to be shared. Like, that's what we learn here, man. They did, these guys, like, they were, they're wrestling. They're holding on to Jesus. And, like, Jesus gives this vision through the power of the Holy Spirit to Peter. Cornelius gets saved. He reports back to the church. They take a deep breath and go, this is not going to make my folks happy. But Jesus is for everyone. And they start sharing him. Okay? So here's the thing, man, is are you keeping Jesus for yourself? Like, don't let the enemy rob you in that. He is to be shared, and he will be so much enjoyable for you when you learn how to share him with those around you. And, and, and here's, like, this, this, this whole persecution, like, they're scattered. And everything looks just totally awful as the church is scattered. So we go back to what I was talking about earlier, and, and this persecution um, breaks out. I want to encourage you in this. Matthew Henry, I, I dug this out, and he, he wrote this, and I, I love it about that, um, how the enemy had designed that persecution, was trying to stop it. He says, what the enemy designed to scatter and lose them, Christ designed to scatter and use them. Okay? So, so here's the deal. It's how the kingdom moves. What is meant for evil is turned to good. Don't ever, Jesus said, don't try to seek revenge for yourself. Leave the vengeance into the hands of the Lord. Don't try to take care of your own rights. Just believe that the Lord is taking care of you. Quit trying to intercede and get in the way and, and think that you have to stand up for yourself in every situation. Sometimes it's good just to let something go so that you can see the Lord step into it for you. I've seen that happen so many times in my life. So many times in my life where I had rights and justifications and I could have stepped in and said, what you are doing is not right. It is totally unjustified how you're treating me in this experience. And I, I, I just didn't do it because I knew that the Lord was telling me, don't do that. Just let me fight your battles. Like, and I step aside and like it might take a year. It might take a week. It might take three years. But then I look back on it and go, wow, wow. Like, look at, look at how that worked out because the Lord was in the midst of that. And so um, it, it's, it's how the kingdom moves. So here's what I want to say to you today. <laughs> Be encouraged. Jesus is yours to share. Like, but before you can share him with others, you need to allow him to share himself with you. Okay? But he's, like, what, what do we do? Like he's, he's just ours to share. He's just there for us. And so we, we get to share in his kingdom. We get to share in his grace. We get to share in his love. He's like, here, here it is, guys. Hey, kids, here it all is. How much mercy you want. How much grace you want. How much love you want. <laughs> how, much, how much opportunity to be involved in the kingdom do you want. Here's my kingdom, guys. Okay? And so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to say, you really want to know how this thing works? Lord, I want as much as I can handle. Like, I, I just want to go and get as much as I can handle. And, 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 and as I get it, then I just want to share it. Here it is for you. Now, close with this story. 
I've been using faith. I told her I was going to use her as an illustration this week. She said, that's fine. I'm downstairs. I don't care. <laughs> Jonah and uh, uh, so three of my kids are at Blue Valley West. Homecoming is coming up this weekend. And somehow Jonah went from not having anybody to take to homecoming to landing one of Faith's friends. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, I don't know what evening it was, but it was, uh, Faith was babysitting, and Jonah went to Mi Ranchito with two of Faith's friends. And, <laughs> yeah, man. And so, so I, I'm sitting in there, and Faith is mad. And she's like, they went to Mi Ranchito, and they didn't even, they didn't even ask me. They didn't tell me or anything. I said, so? They're my friends. He's with them. I said, you don't own them. Like, Jesus is the only one that owns people. I said, right now, your identity is tied up in your friends and, and how you lead in that. I said, you got to let go of that. It doesn't matter. You don't possess people. You can't be possessive of your brother. You can't be possessive of your friends. you got to quit living like that. That's prison, man. And people live that way. Like, you can't be like that. Man, that people, you, like, you don't own people. And your friends are still going to be your friends. And you ought to be proud of your brother. He's sitting up at Mi Ranchito with two girls right now. <laughs> you know? And so, like, I think it was a good lesson for her, but it's a good lesson for all of us to realize, man, why am I worried about what this person is? Maybe I didn't get invited to that, but who cares? I've been invited into the kingdom, and I love those people, and they love me, and I don't have to start thinking things about what may, why they didn't invite me. Quit going there, man. You belong to Jesus. You don't need anything else. And that will just ruin your relationships. And so just, like, share. Like, Jesus is there to share. Get in the kingdom and share in what he has to offer and then turn around and give it away. And the more you give it away, the more of it you will get. And the more that you hold on to it, the more miserable you will be as a follower of Jesus. Act like him. Be like Barnabas. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, nothing to hide. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.